Welcome to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. I'm D.T. Kane, author of the epic fantasy series The Agersfar Saga and The Spoken Books Uprising. Each week, I read from one of my novels, discuss my writing process, answer your questions, and have general discussions about fantasy fiction. It's like a book club, except I do all the work for you. Find show notes, info about all my novels, and much more at dtkane.com. Here's the show. Chapter 16 Water sprayed across Baz's face, easing him back into consciousness. As soon as his mind realized he was awake, waves of agony began crashing against the insides of Baz's skull. He'd have moaned, but the simple act of opening his jaws would have hurt too much. "'I'm telling you, Marst,' said an unfamiliar voice. "'Look at his forehead!' "'I see it. You think I'm slow?' said a second unknown voice. "'But he had a hat on. That's what she told us. "'The hoarders will be the ones with hats. "'You ever seen a hoarder branded like an oppressed? "'No, but I ain't seen many hoarders, period, "'and neither of you, Boost.' "'Boost apparently had no ready retort to that, "'and the voices were blessedly silent for a time. Listening to them made Baz's head spin. After a time, the voice belonging to the one the other had called Marst said, You think Charm or Max made it out? I saw the big fella take Max's head off, Boost replied. Don't know about Charm. Scribes, muttered Marst. We're going to be in a lot of trouble, aren't we? Yep. You'll be in even more trouble if you don't turn this boat around. A new voice, one with which Baz was familiar. Liana, he said, trying to sit up. For the second time that day, he nearly lost his stomach and collapsed back to the floor. Make that a deck, judging by the wooden boards that rose up to meet his cheek and the now obvious swaying of the surface beneath him. Gah! He's awake! Marst shouted. Told you we should have chained him! Baz groaned. I can hardly move. I think we can forego the chains. Liana, where are you? Here, Bastion. Liana's voice seemed to come from six directions at once. Quiet, you, Boost said. A moment later, Liana gave a cry of pain. Spinning head or no, that propelled Baz up off the deck. He launched himself in the direction he thought the cry had come from. He crashed into a figure, and they both tumbled to the deck. Baz opened his eyes to look at Liana's assailant, hand already curled into a fist. He found himself face to face with... Liana. Not the best rescue attempt I've seen, she coughed from under him. Her breath was warm on Baz's face, and for a moment he forgot the symphony of mistuned bells ringing in his skull. Uh, Bastion? Liana asked. Yeah? Could you get off me? Oh, sorry. Baz rolled off Liana, the momentary respite from pain gone. But at least he could see again. They were on a small boat, or maybe it was a ship. Baz didn't know the difference, or much else about boats, ships, whichever. 
He'd never even seen the ocean vest. Toward the front was a small wheel covered by an overhang that Bez assumed was for steering. He and Liana were beside a large tank that emanated heat. Steam rose from a spout beside it, and the whole thing thrummed as if gears or something were turning inside. A stairwell toward the boat's center and off to one side led below deck. In front of the wheel were two young men, Marston Boost, presumably. They were shoulder to shoulder and cowering away from Bez. One had a knife pointed in their direction, though it looked more like a dinner utensil than a weapon. "'What's going on?' Baz asked. "'You're our prisoners,' Boost, the one holding the knife, said. His head was shaved down to the scalp, save for a thin strip of hair down the center of his head, which was dyed green. A scar ran up one side of his face. Baz eyed them up and down, then glanced to Liana. She had a bruise under one eye, and Baz felt a growl begin to sound at the back of his throat. She placed a hand over his. It's all right, Bastion. I'm fine. Baz appraised her for several moments more, then let out a sigh and wiped a hand down his face. Who was he fooling, anyway? Sure, he'd gotten a lucky punch in on Farston's speaker, but he was no brawler, and he stood little chance in a fight two against one. Still, it wouldn't do to let them know that. We really got captured by this pair of morons? I'm not sure that one even knows which end of the knife to use. Hey! Boost cried. Max and Charm were the fighters, Marst said at the same time. He was about as opposite from Boost as seemed possible. He was, well, fat. No getting around it. His pudge had pudge. His hair was greasy and too short to tie back, but too long to keep out of his eyes. Oh, and his left arm was missing, just below the elbow. Marst! Boost elbowed his companion in the ribs. You two just stay there by the steamer, he shouted, jabbing his knife toward them. I know my way around this knife well enough. My orders are to bring you in alive, but not necessarily unharmed. Baz rolled his eyes. Maybe that was water on Boost's forehead, but it looked a lot like nervous sweat. Baz looked over Boost's shoulder to the boat's wheel. You think you could pilot this thing? he asked Liana. She followed his gaze, a sour purse to her lips. I'd say there's as much of a chance I'd get us killed as there is I'd get us back to shore. You? Baz grimaced. I'd say my odds are even less optimistic than yours. Be quiet, the two of you, Boost said. You think we could gang up on the fat one and toss him overboard? Baz asked Liana. Hey, I can hear you. Too heavy, she said, a smile touching her mouth. Baz laughed. Likely, that was totally inappropriate, given their position as captives. But the whole thing was just ridiculous. Captured by a thug with a bad hair day and an obese child with one arm. He looked back to Boost and Marst. pair of you are seekers, yeah? They simultaneously narrowed their eyes. Where'd you hear that? Oh, Baz said, looking down at his robes and rubbing at some dirt. I know a few of... He trailed off as he realized that Liana was looking at him with just as much surprise as the pair of seekers who'd captured them. 
anyone else from erstwhile would have called them cityless, brigands who terrorized travelers foolish enough to wander in the wilds without adequate defenses. But Baz had learned that calling them cityless was completely inaccurate. They had a city, Undertome, hidden beneath the now-ruined library that had once housed fortunes upon fortunes of spoken books. Actually, it, it still did, though they were no longer accessible. Baz shuddered at the memory of walking out onto that stone peninsula deep beneath Tome. Now, the forgotten bowels of the once great library served as a sort of scriptorium for the keepers of what remains, where they worked at reproducing the scribes' great books of power, books that could allegedly be used to one day teach everyone to unlock the power of the spoken books. And then there was the subset of keepers called the Seekers of Transcendence, to which these two buffoons must belong keepers who traveled forth from Tome in search of the enigma's long-lost prophecy of a savior who would lead the speakers from their oppression. Bez was actually a member of that group, though his membership hadn't been entirely voluntary. He shrugged at Boost and Marst. Just a term I heard once. When Liana's brow didn't unfurrow, Bez added hurriedly, That Cityless captured before the trials, remember him? He said it during his ramblings. Did he? Liana asked. Pretty sure, Baz said. I told you to be quiet, Boost said again. We'll beat our fable soon, and then the lady will decide what to do with you. Baz opened his mouth to ask more questions, but Boost's face made apparent that he wouldn't answer them, nor would he permit Marst to. And short of assaulting the pair, there was little Baz could do until the boat reached land. Who knew? Maybe Boost really could use that knife. So he and Liana just sat there. Do you know what they were talking about earlier? Liana asked. Oppressed and hoarders? Baz nearly answered truthfully without thinking, but caught himself just in time. There was no way he'd be able to explain to Liana how he knew what the terms actually meant. No idea, he mumbled trying to pretend he was still groggy so she wouldn't press further. She didn't, and they sat there in silence. At some point, Baz realized the fingers of one of his hands were intertwined with Liana's. He couldn't remember who'd clasped whose hand first, and it didn't matter. He gave a squeeze without looking at Liana and closed his eyes. Maybe if he just shut them for a few moments, the pounding in his head would go away. The boat lurched, and Baz started awake. For a moment, he thought he'd lost his sight and began to scrabble about the deck. "'Hush now, Bastion,' Liana murmured. "'Shh, it's all right. We just reached land.' "'Oh,' Baz mumbled. After a few moments, he realized he wasn't blind. Night had just fallen. Apparently, he'd fallen asleep, or passed out. He was grateful for the darkness as it hid the embarrassment burning his face. Several new voices sounded from the shore. So much for taking our two captors by surprise, Liana muttered. Before Baz could ask what she meant, several men who made Boost and Marst look like babies came aboard. Each one had a sword, and two of them even wore steel helms the kind with nose guards that made it look like their heads were inside some creature's skull. 
Good evening, boys, Baz said, sitting up straighter. How can we... One of the men grabbed Baz by the arm and yanked him to his feet. The unexpected change in position sent blood rushing to Baz's head, and he nearly fainted. And while he maintained his feet, his stomach had finally had enough. He emptied it all over the man's boots. Sorry, Baz muttered, wiping the back of his arm across his face. Should have warned me, though. He half expected the man to strike him, but he just gave an exasperated sigh and began dragging Baz toward a plank that led off the boat to land. He heard Liana being led after him. Suddenly, a thought struck him. Hey, where's my hat? I've got it said Marst from somewhere behind Baz. Well, at least the day hadn't been a total loss. Quiet, Marst, Boost said. Judging from the cry of discomfort that followed, Boost had elbowed him in the ribs again. Baz stumbled along, the guard's grasp tight on his forearm. His mouth tasted of bile and wet bread, and even without the darkness, he'd have had trouble seeing through the tears that filled his eyes from having emptied his stomach. Fable was not a large island, and after only a minute or so, they approached a long, low building with a tall chimney. It didn't look like much to Baz, but Liana gasped. The mill, she whispered. The pair of seekers must have hit Baz's head harder than he'd thought. Of course, where else would the boat have been going? The only thing on the island was paper mill. The guards hustled them inside before he could consider the building further. What Baz first noticed was the smell. Initially, he couldn't quite place it, and he tried inhaling deeply to get a better whiff. That was a mistake, as immediately he began coughing. The insides of his nostrils felt as if someone had stuck flaming sticks up them, and he touched a finger to his upper lip to check if he was bleeding. Judging by the spluttering coming from behind him, it seemed that Liana had suffered a similar fate. The room was also very warm. To either side were cylindrical vats at least twice the height of a man. There were fires lit beneath each of them, and steam plumed out their tops and through a central hole in the ceiling. The guards led them down a dim, narrow passageway between the tanks. They stopped at a door, and Boost knocked on it. A slot in the door opened, and eyes peered out, reminding Baz of the snake's hideout back in erstwhile. "'He'll speak the words,' the owner of the eyes said, "'to set us free.' Boost responded. Baz's brows rose. That was the same passphrase the snakes had used. A moment later, the door opened, and the guards pushed Baz and Liana onward. There were many people within, most standing at rows of tables that took up most of the long room. Baz couldn't tell quite how long the room was, though. The lighting was only marginally better than the hall with the tanks. Each man or woman he could see wore gloves that came past their elbows and had a basin before them. They seemed to be holding screens and sifting through the liquid the basins held. Now and then, the workers would flip their screens upside down on the tables beside them, and still other workers would take whatever it was they'd deposited on the tables to large presses at the back of the room. Paper, Liana murmured. And so many workers, 
I never imagined the mill still produced so much. Baz was beginning to suspect that much of the mill's output wasn't going to any of the triumvirate cities, but he kept that opinion to himself. Before he could think of a suitable response to Liana, an approaching figure said, "'What'd you find me, Boost?' The voice was familiar, full of determination and grit. The newcomer stepped into a square of moonlight beaming through a window. She was shorter than Baz, hair dark and straight. She wore the same green shirt embroidered with yellow flowers as she had the first time Baz had met her, and he'd probably have called her pretty if not for the glare of skepticism her gray eyes aimed in his direction. "'What are you doing here?' she asked, voice not nearly as friendly as Baz might have hoped. It couldn't be. How was she here? Last he'd seen her, she'd been hundreds of miles away, waving farewell as he'd flown away from Tome on the back of a book dragon. The woman before him was named Emma, daughter of Madame Scrivener Tessa, leader of the Keepers. Hello, friends. Welcome back to D.T. Kane's epic fantasy book club. Today is Sunday, October 30th, 2022, as I record this, which is, let's see, episode 42 of the podcast and episode 15 of season two. And happy Halloween to everyone out there. If you're watching the YouTube video, you'll see I have <laughs> dressed up for the occasion with my giant Tyrannosaurus Rex head on. Um, I don't really have much to say here. This week I uh, was in Chicago for a work trip uh, this past week, and then I was actually uh, uh, staying with my parents for a couple days as well for my father's birthday, so I haven't been doing a, a ton of work in the D.T. Kane <laughs> media empire this week, but uh, definitely wanted to make sure you at least got another podcast episode here, so you uh, enjoyed reading about, uh, you know, what happened to Baz after he was attacked following the duel with, uh, with Farston. Uh, he's on a boat, and now he is on Fable at the mill where paper is made. Um, and uh, curious, he's met uh, Emma again. Remember her from, from book one, the daughter of the leader of the, the Keepers at home. So uh, it'll be interesting to see where uh, this all goes from here, um, let's see, other than that, like I said, not too much, I didn't even write a quote of the week this week, sorry to be, to be letting you down, uh, in that regard, but we, we'll be returning to regularly scheduled programming next week, the newsletter will be out on Friday again, got a lot of nice photos to share with all of you from my trip, um, and of course we'll have the quote of the week again, and uh, then, let's see, the reading assignment next week will be Chapter 17 of Declaimer's Discovery. I think just that one chapter. I'm just scrolling through it here now. Oh, yeah, Chapter 17 is a long one. Wow, this is a very long <laughs> chapter. I've got my reading cut off for me next week. But, yes, yeah, so uh, Chapter uh, 17, we will... Uh, Learn just uh, what's going on in the paper factory or the paper mill at Fable and what is Emma doing there. Um, I think it's a pretty safe bet that it has something to do 
with uh, the keepers and uh, maybe even relates to uh, the oath that Baz swore at the end of book one to help find the declaimer's transcendence. Um, so there you go. Uh, hope you enjoy reading that, or as always, if you aren't able to uh, to do the reading, I will be reading it for you in next week's episode, so tune in for that. Uh, other than that, the only other news I have is uh, NaNoWriMo starts uh, this week, National Novel Writing Month. It starts on November 1st. I will be uh, writing uh, book five of the Spoken Books Uprising, part five, I should say. Uh, Into the Dragon's Maw uh, is the title that I have uh, come up with for that. Uh, the goal is to write 50,000 words of uh, your first novel or uh, you know the current novel you're working on during National Novel Writing Month. Uh, there's a website that tracks it. I'll be sharing that in the newsletter so you can keep track of my process and progress and cheer me on. And if you see me slacking, you can shoot me an email and tell me to get my act together. So... Uh, you have that to look forward to in the month of November as well. Um, all right, so that is it for this week. I know we've had a couple of shorter episodes here, but uh, I'd rather give you a, you know a shorter episode than nothing at all. So uh, we'll be back next week reading Chapter 17 of Declaimer's Discovery. So until then, this has been D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. Thanks for listening to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. If you liked today's episode, please consider rating and reviewing wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're watching on YouTube, give this video a thumbs up if you liked it and hit that subscribe button and the bell so you get notified whenever new episodes become available. If you'd like to listen to back episodes or review the show notes, visit dtkane.com podcast. D.T. Kane's novels are available for purchase at most major online retailers, or you can purchase directly from his website at www.dtkane.com books. You can receive a free short story and sign up for D.T. Kane's mailing list at dtkane.com email dash sign up. If you'd like to connect, you can find D.T. Kane on Facebook at D.T. Kane Author or Twitter at D.T. Kane Author, or send D.T. Kane an email at dtkane at dtkane.com. See you next week.